Well, that was great. Um, I know as soon as somebody comes and stands up at the front after worship, everyone sits down and we go into another mode. But please don't do that right now. I'd just like to remind you that you know we come to the Word and we come to the sermon with, with seriousness and with solemnness as we, we submit ourselves to the authority of it. But at the same time, we need to remember that this is worship. This is worship as much as when we're singing songs to God. Uh, when we sit in submission under the word, it is first and foremost worship. So please, as you sit down in your seats, don't sit down in your hearts. Let's stay in an attitude of worship as we submit ourselves to the authority of the word. It's um, very important for us. Just by way of introduction, I'd like to tell you a little bit about myself and my family and where we come from because... Uh, I believe it's very important that you know where we come from. We're not from the moon, but from a beautiful little town in South Africa called Port Elizabeth. As you know, all good things come from Port Elizabeth. Um, <laughs> it's true. <laughs> it's not quite the center of the universe, but it's the friendly city, and it's the Detroit of South Africa, so we feel right at home in Birmingham. We can come build cars. Um, yeah, so I'm Port Elizabeth born and bred, and from a church in Port Elizabeth called Harvest Christian Church. I've been uh, involved in Harvest Christian Church since July 92, and um, have been leading home groups, have been looking after uh, a zone, a congregation of about 200 young adults that are finding their feet in their careers and with their new young families. And that has been a, a wonderful time of growth and experience in, in leading people that are in a very interesting transitional time in their lives where uh, they used to depend on mom and dad for everything and they were studying and all of a sudden the white picket fence and, and trying to stake your claim in the world becomes far more significant and important to them. And trying to make sure that they stay on track spiritually through that is actually quite challenging because as you can imagine, the idea of, of money and finance become very important and sometimes can detract from the importance of, of God in their lives. So that was a great time. But for a very long time, we felt called to Europe in general, and we've always had a heart for the UK. Uh, early on in, in our relationships at, at Harvest, we had friendships with the church in Southampton, uh, probably not familiar with it, Central Hall, Southampton. And um, so we'd come into the UK and spend a lot of time here, and they would send teams down to South Africa as well. And we, we've fostered a relationship with the United Kingdom that I think is, is significant, more than just we're friends. Um, and if we look at what the UK has done for the rest of the world in terms of, of uh, preaching the gospel, we think it's, it's uh, almost a, a, a beautiful kind of return of the favor, if you want to call it that, that that some of the places that have benefited from the work that British missionaries have done uh, come and spend time building the kingdom back in the United Kingdom. So we feel called here. And um, recently, as a family, we were asked to come and visit a small group in Sutton Coldfield that were meeting and considering planting a church. Um, just to come and encourage them, we were asked by our... our um, oversight back at Harvest, to 
to just come and encourage them and, and spend a bit of time seeing how we can work together and, and work the way forward. And after a weekend there, we were convinced that this is the place that we need to be. So as beautiful as Falmouth is, and as wonderful as Cornwall is, and as friendly as the Cornish are, um, we'll be moving up to Birmingham very soon, as soon as I can get a job. And Becky and the children will be moving up in August, beginning of August. Um, so we're here, and Sutton Christian Fellowship will be planted, well, is planted, effectively. Um, and I'd just like to tell you a bit about what we believe is important. We've been working around the name, we've been working around our mission statement, and we've come up with this little three-line phrase, reaching up, reaching forward, reaching out. And I think that, that really kind of sums up the the Great Commission and the Great Commandment. And at the end of the day, for all of us, from whatever church we come from, I think we'd all hold in common the idea that priority one for us as a church is to worship and glorify God. That is number one. So the time we spend together giving of ourselves back to Him, sure in a Sunday service, but throughout our lives. Number two, it is to edify and build up those of us that do believe. So we encourage each other to run the race well and to finish well. And then reaching out is vitally important. In fact, I think if we didn't do the reaching out, there, wasn't, there would be no point in us being a church. And so for me, being a South African is secondary to being a citizen of the kingdom of God. And the reason that we're in the United Kingdom is not so much because of everything we came out of in South Africa, but because God brought us here for a very specific reason, and that is to reach out to the communities in the United Kingdom. We're a mission station. We are number one citizens of the king, and that's who we represent to the people of the United Kingdom or the Midwest or Solihull or Sutton Coldfield. So I thought I would bring a word today along those lines. It's great for people to talk about mission, but I think there's something deep in the heart of somebody we know a lot about, David, that would give us insight into how we actually sustain energy, how we sustain inspiration, and how we, we uh, stay focused on task without it starting to feel like a whole bunch of work. And so I'd just like to spend a little bit of time in Psalm 139, but I'd like to pray beforehand. So Lord, we just thank you for your word. We thank you that, that your word is powerful, that it is useful to us, that it, it edifies us, that it builds us up. Lord, that your word glorifies yourself, and at the end of the day, Lord, we know that your word is your authority and that not one of us can stand up and claim to have any authority outside of it. So, Lord, we submit ourselves now to your word. We submit ourselves to the teaching in it. We submit ourselves to, to the guidance that you bring. And, Spirit, Holy Spirit, we pray that you would bring the word alive in our hearts. Lord, that it would just not be dead academic stuff. It would not just be words on a page, but they would be living words that penetrated deeply inside our hearts and changed us, made, make us more and more like you. So, Lord, we submit ourselves. We ask that you be with us. And, Lord, we pray that you would make this a significant time in our lives. In Jesus' name, 
Amen. Yeah. All right. Bible's out. No TNRVs allowed, except me. <laughs> Psalm 139. I'm going to read through the whole thing, but I promise I'm not going to preach expository on the whole. So, uh, the whole psalm will take the whole week. You have searched me, Lord, and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you, Lord, know it completely. You hem me in behind and before, and you lay your hand on upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your right hand will guard me. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me, and the light become night around me, even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day, for darkness is as light to you. For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place. When I was woven together in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed body. All the, da- all the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. How precious to me are your thoughts, O oh God. How vast is the sum of them. Were I to count them, they would outnumber the grains of sand. When I awake, I am still with you. If only you, God, would slay the wicked. Away from me, you who are bloodthirsty. They speak of you with evil intent. Your adversaries misuse your name. Do I not hate those who hate you, Lord, and abhor those who are in rebellion against you? I have nothing but hatred for them. I count them my enemies. Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. A clear understanding that we are his workmanship and that he plans out our days combined with the fact that he is victorious and that his plans cannot be frustrated is great grounds for great peace and joy. With that as our foundation, with that as our security, we will have energy that's not dependent on our emotions or circumstances but on a deep bedrock of this assurance, to fight. David was a fighter. We can, it's easy to, to see that. The, the scriptures are full of, 
of his exploits. And um, when we, we listen to the way he speaks there, there's often two ways that people interpret the psalm. And a lot of people talk about the, the wonderful language that he uses, the poetry. You know, um, Many theologians talk about it being one of the most perfectly written pieces of, of poetry that extol and exalt God in uh, the Old Testament. And that is wonderful. But very often that amazing use of language that David has hides the very simple question that he asks God. And it really is a very simple one. He says to him, Lord, search my heart because I know it's completely stupid of me to think that you cannot see every single thing inside of it and expose those things and work in me. He was completely vulnerable before he's got, and he was asking him to, to probe even deeper. And I think that is a, an amazing question. I know it took a long time for him to ask it, but really that's what he's saying. Hey, man, it's pointless for me to try and hide. Please search me. But then again, when you look at the language he uses, it is more than just poetry. Because there's a whole lot of stuff in there about the character of God that is absolutely fundamental to the way we, as Christians, live our lives. So as I said, David was a fighter. He was the king of Israel, but not just any king. If you you remember, he's the one that that would kill bears and and lions barehanded while he was a shepherd boy. He's the one that... um, had the throne that was prophesied to be the throne that Messiah sat on. So, you know, David was the king of Israel, even after Solomon took over. David was the man. He, he pacified Saul with the sound of music. He, he hid from Saul for, for, for years. And then straight after that emerged as the, the undisputed uh, heir to Saul's throne. He... Um, extended the territory of Israel, and he defended it through most of his life. That's why I say he spent a lot of time fighting. I think some of us would probably call him a good self-starter. He was extremely motivated. He didn't just stick with the status quo. He did a lot of good. And uh, he didn't have the best example in uh, the previous king. Let's put it that way. Um, So hopefully he's an example for our government. (laughs) <laughs> but, um, you know, it, it's great. We spend so much time talking about the exploits of our biblical heroes, how great David was, how he killed Goliath with a slingshot um, when a whole army was too scared to, to get a hold of him. But very rarely do we look deeper. Very rarely do we get an opportunity to look at his heart. And that's what happens in the Psalms. We get to see where he found his tenacity, where he got his strength, where he found his resolve to carry on doing some things which, well, you know, you look at the end of that Psalm and you realize probably a little bit unpopular um, when you talk about killing wicked people and hating them with everything inside of you. Not that popular, especially today. (laughs) But we need to look at that as the source of our resolve the way that we can sustain ourselves in the tasks that God has given us. You see, if we look at the very end and we look at the fact that he was asking God to slay the wicked, 
We've also got to be practical and say that if we look at other parts of Scripture, he was going out and slaying people. He was leading armies. He was extending things. He was fighting. But when we look at the way he speaks to God here, we realize that in his mind, in his heart, he knew that the battle was the Lord's. At the end of the day, the results of the warfare that he fought on the ground were in God's hands. And we see here a balance of God's sovereignty and man's responsibility. In other words, David was a man that, that realized that, that he was nothing without God and that God's plans would not be frustrated. But he couldn't just sit back and say, oh, well, you know, God's going to do it, so whatever happens, happens. He knew that his actions were as important as knowing that God was in control of the results. There was a balance that is sometimes challenging for us to understand, but it is clearly the way that God has chosen to work with man. So I'd like to just sum that up by saying that he did what he felt called to do in the peace and assurance that his actions were essential to God's plan and that they would never result in the failure of that plan. That's an amazing place to be, and I think a lot of us struggle to find that place where you you don't make God weak by thinking that if you flop, you've messed it up for him. Um, but at the same time, then you don't stand back and say, well, I'm not going to do anything because God's so powerful, he doesn't need me. And that's our example. Our war today is not against flesh and blood. It's against powers and principalities. We read that in Ephesians 6, but we can take an example from David as to how he waged this war. Now, David is a challenging fellow. I mean, we've, we've heard about how great he is, but we also know about the blemishes on his record. <laughs> we know that um, he was a sensitive man, that he had a heart after God, that that he had a passion for the law, that he cared deeply for Israel, and that he murdered men so that he could get with their wives. <laughs> and you know, you kind of you look at some of the things that he did, and you could be smug, and you could say, oh, you know, I'd never do that. David is such a sinner, but it's not true. It's not true. David is the example he is because he's like all people. He's not. He's not a superhero, in that sense. He's not perfect. He's blemished. He's sinful. He's actually pitiful in a lot of ways. And that's why he's such a good example for us, because who of us can say that we are perfect? Who of us can say that we've, you know, never thought a sinful thing in our lives? Who, who of us can say that uh, we've got a spotless record? Um, and yet, when we look at the way he explains God, there's a question that needs to be asked because this is a God that's in your face 24 hours a day. He's looking at everything you do. And for most people, that's not a great thing when you know you're wicked. <laughs> you know, But David describes him with excitement, with joy even, that he can be in the presence of a God who is completely in his face. And he's completely aware of all of his sins and wickedness. That's strange, you know. I mean, it, it doesn't make sense to me if, unless something 
amazing happened in his heart. And now, I'd like to just say that, that the only thing that can do this is, is regeneration. I believe that David was saved. You know, in the same way that we, we talk about Christ being our Redeemer and, and purchasing us with his blood and showing us mercy. I believe that David knew that he was sinful. I believe that David knew that he could not redeem himself before his God. I believe that David knew that no matter how much he sacrificed at the temple, it was never going to be enough to cover himself. I believe that he had an intimate relationship with God. I believe that he knew Christ. And you may say, well, Christ was born way after David, and he could only uh, save people after he went to the cross. And he could only bring us victory in our lives and and promise us um, an afterlife when he he rose from the dead. But you know what? For those of us that have looked at it. He reveals himself through the Old Testament. And you know that Christ has always been. We believe in a triune God. Christ was there from the beginning. And it was always the plan of redemption. The cross was always the plan of redemption. And I believe that David was one of those guys in the Old Testament, one of those guys before the cross that had an intimate relationship with Christ and understood that their righteousness was in him and in him alone. It had nothing to do with their works it had nothing to do with how much they did at the temple. It had nothing to do with the fact that he was the king of Israel. All of that was as filthy rags before the righteousness attained for him through Christ. And I think that is the reason why David could come to God with an open heart and ask him to search his heart, to dig in to his ways, to criticize him on certain points, but also to say, God, you can see, for all my faults, for all my failings, my heart is for you and you alone. The only way he could have done that is if he knew that his righteousness was in Christ alone. He may not have known him as Christ, with that Greek word, Christ, but he definitely knew him. See, this is what changes things. This is why David finds life where everyone else finds death. And it's where we need to find it as well. David, when he wrote the Psalms, showed us that meditating on the awesomeness of his God is where he got resolve to fight the fight that he needed to fight for Israel. Nowhere else. So often, for us... Um, as the church, and I think this is where we need to start being a little bit more critical of ourselves. So often as the church, we sit and we, we, we speak and we worship and we sing and we preach. And every now and again, someone comes and says, you know, what are we doing about the lost? What are we doing about those that don't believe in Christ? You know, how are we reaching out to them? What missions program do we have? And I mean, there's, there's loads of examples of very good programs around. Uh, you know, I think for one, that's quite relevant right now, the, f- the 15 Revolution. I think um, uh, Paul Scanlon's 15 Revolution. Um, and uh, one that I'm not so keen on is the, 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 the one-week challenge. I don't know if you've heard the one, but it's, you know, when if every Christian in this room 
just asked one friend to come to church next week, and if half of those people did come and they got saved, and then everyone asked just one person again and again, another half and so on and so on, by the end of the year, we'll have the whole of the United Kingdom saved. It's like, yeah, okay. <laughs> did that one last year? It didn't work. Um, <laughs> You know, some, sometimes we'll be in a meeting which is particularly emotionally charged. And, and we'll walk away from the meeting thinking, yes, now we've got it. We've got the energy we need to, to go out and change the world, but give it two days, man. And we're like, come on. The kids didn't sleep again. The boss was horrible. I'm tired. And... It doesn't seem to result in anything. And I'm not saying that there's anything wrong with the programs. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with the plans. I think it's good to be creative. I think it's good to have have a plan in place that helps you structure your your call to, to reach the world. But I really don't think that those things are a good source for resolve. I think if we're looking to inspire our people, if we're looking to inspire ourselves to reach the world, we're looking in the wrong place. The program you need, but for inspiration, not so good. I think we need to be more clear on the fact that the only place that people can be inspired to reach out into the world is to dwell more on the sovereignty of their God, to dwell more on the omnipotence and the omnipresence and the omniscience of their God, to submit themselves to a place where they realize that they are created, and he is a creator, and he is not in the least bit frustrated. He is not in the least bit struggling. From the very beginning, he knew how the end would look, and every little bit in between. I'll tell you what, for me, that has been the most humbling experience. And a lot of people said to me, you go down this road, you're going to end up being a legalist. You go down this road, you're going to end up being a fatalist. But for me, I've gone down this road and it's brought out the greatest joy and a sense of humility that, that has, has um, given me a, a resolve to, to care without like a sense of, I need to work at this. You know, it's something that I'm obligated to do. You know, I'd, I'd just like to share a little example of, of what happened to me. It was a couple of years ago. I found myself, as people do, in a place where I was tired and uninspired. I was working really hard. I had a really good job. Um, we were pastoring a congregation of about 200 young people. Um, we were attending a lot of conferences. We were reading a lot of information about different church growth strategies. I don't know if you've heard of G12 or seeker-sensitive services, house church, postmodern engagement, all sorts of stuff. And by all accounts, if people were looking at it from the outside, things were looking good. And yeah, sure, the, the ministry was stable, but it was stable. It wasn't dwindling. It wasn't growing. And I was tired and, yeah, as I say, most people find themselves in this place. And, and I thought, like a lot of people think, you know, I need, I need a fresh revelation. I need an encounter with God or just something to break me out of this malay that I was in and get me back on track. But I, I really didn't expect 
to get passion from the place that I did. It came out of concern for a friend. A friend of mine had gone to plant a church in New Zealand. And while they were there, they, uh, two of the guys that went with him spent their whole time studying theology, correspondence. And um, through their influence, they got involved in some very interesting theological stances that they didn't hold when they'd left. So there was a lot of concern from the pastors around me about what was going on. And I was trying to engage them. I was spending a lot of time chatting to him, and I quickly realized I was ill-equipped to actually have this discussion with him. I didn't have the grounding. I didn't have the understanding of the issues that he was talking about to get anywhere near it. So what I did was I went, and out of concern for him, I went and did the research. Started off with a bit on the Internet, a bit of reading books, and a whole lot of reading the Bible again. A whole lot of looking at scriptures that I'd looked at and read so many times, and for the first time I was seeing something in them that I'd never seen before. So I was doing it for him, but it changed something in me. All of a sudden I found the source of passion and inspiration. I found a place where I was dwelling on the sovereignty of God. And you know what? The more I thought about it, the more I saw it in the Bible. And the more I saw it in the Bible, the more I became excited, comforted, and passionate about my God. There's nothing more securing, there's nothing more peaceful than to know that you serve a God that is completely in control and loves you. I mean, you know, striving to be loved by God, come on, you don't need to. He loves you. He does the whole work. His Christ has bridged the gap. And that's the thing, you know, I was suddenly overwhelmed by the mercy that he had shown me. Not just simply, you know, what one day I came forward and I gave my heart to Jesus and from then I became a Christian. No, there was a day in my life that a miracle happened. There was a day in my life when I was blind and suddenly I realized that I was lost. I couldn't even see that I was lost. You know, most people don't. They think they're fine. So when you say you need to be saved, you're implying that they're a sinner and they don't think they are. It's a terrible thing. It's quite an insult. (laughs) But it takes a miracle for God to open your eyes and see that. I became so appreciative of the fact that he did that for me. And I became so appreciative of the fact that he gave me the ability to respond to him. It became so much more significant to me that he had that mercy. And you know what? When you're washed by waves of love like that, by reading his word and realizing how much you are indebted to him, It makes you so much more humble in your approach to people that have not yet met him. And it gives you so much more of a heart for them to meet the Savior that truly did save you. You didn't save yourself through your own wisdom or pursuit of knowledge, which brought you some kind of enlightenment. He did it. He did it all. And so... That's the point I'd like to leave with you, is that the source of inspiration for us as a church in general, for us as a church in the West Midlands, Solihull, Sutton Coldfield, it's not about the missions program, we need them. But if we're going to live a life that is a light to these communities, we need to be inspired 
by our God. When we spend time in worship, when we spend time in prayer, that is where we find the source to be of some use out in the world. So I just want to leave you with a couple of points. Most of us are South Africans. I want to say to you that you live here because God wants you to live here. Many of us may feel that we've come here because of political situations, because of pursuing career ambitions, because of crime, because of so many things. But the truth is, God's put you here. Second point I'd like to leave with you is that it's for a very specific reason. You have something that he has put inside of you that this community needs. Now, that might sound arrogant, but it's not. He needs you to be here. You've got to make sure that you realize 100% that your destiny here is to serve God. It's not to pursue your own career. It's not to stay safe from crime. It's not to uh, anything else that we look at as aspirational in any way. It's not even to make sure that your family, your children have a secure future. We're all missionaries. That's our job. We are number one citizens of the kingdom of heaven. Number two, South Africans. We need not not be proud of our heritage, but we are number one citizens of the kingdom of heaven. And we are ambassadors of that kingdom. You need to accept that you're going to fight. You need to have a plan. But you also need to know where to get fueled up. And that's this discussion. Without this, everything else is a pain in the neck. I promise you. Been there. We need to discipline ourselves to meditate regularly on the awesomeness of our God. When you're constantly aware of a great God who's shown incomprehensible mercy, you become very aware of your own inadequacy and your need for mercy. This in turn causes you to be eternally thankful and also increases your mercy towards others. Bottom line. This is the heart of mission. This is what it is to be the church and this is what we've been called to do. Lorraine, I'd like it if you could maybe come up and we can pray. Uh, you know, at the end of a, a message like this, it's like you know, we, we need to respond, but how? How do we respond? I've told you that the answer is to be disciplined. So we can stand up and we can lay ourselves before God and ask him to, to help us in that. But at the end of the day, I'm thinking we need to stand up and say to God, we're going to be disciplined. We are going to make sure that we spend time in your word and that we, we develop in ourselves a respect for you that possibly we've lost. And um, so if we can just stand up and, and I'll pray. And I think at the same time, we, will, we, we, we can bring our offerings at the same time. Tom, I think if that's fine, we're going to sing a song of worship. And I don't want you to feel 
that you have to do anything. I don't want you to feel that you have to come to the front for prayer. But if you do want to speak to somebody about prayer, please feel free. And let's talk to each other. Let's, let's see what we can do to help each other out. But let's just spend this one song worshiping God with a new mind, with a new kind of look at Him. That yes, He is, he is great. He is powerful. And for all these years I've, we've said, you are sovereign. But let's just dwell a bit on what that means for us as people to serve a king that is truly sovereign. Not a king or a queen that is uh, just ahead. But one that rules with grace and mercy and holds the whole of creation in his hands. So Lord, we just thank you that you have revealed yourself to us. That the whole miracle of salvation is yours and yours alone. Lord, we stand before you ever more aware of the mercy that has been given to us. Painfully aware of the fact that we are full of failings. That we are full of stuff that we weren't weren't aware of before you revealed yourself to us. Lord, we, we confess that before your holiness, we looked at ourselves and all we saw was filthy, filthy rags. And Lord, with Paul, we express our frustration as to, if, if this is the way I am, if everything I try and do that's good, I don't do, but everything I don't want to do, I end up doing, what hope is there for me? What hope is there for me? And that is why we can be so thankful. That's why we can rejoice, Christ. That's why we can rejoice, Lord, that you went to the cross for us. That you died in our place. That you paid the ultimate price. And Lord, that we can rejoice more than all because you were raised from the dead. Lord, that the resurrection happened. And Lord, that we have promise of new hope. That Lord, we will be like you one day in that we will have new bodies. That we will rule and reign with you in heavenly places. And Lord, we're just so thankful to you for that. Lord, we're so thankful that that when we die, that's not the end. But that death has lost its sting. Death has lost its power. It can no longer separate us from the mercy of our God. And Lord, we stand before you and we, we say, Lord, we know we've got to reach our friends. We know we've got to reach those around us that don't know you. But Lord, we can only do it in your power. And we know at the end of the day, you're the only one that can awaken their hearts. You're the only ones that can open their eyes. And so, Lord, we appeal to you that you would have mercy, mercy on our friends, mercy on our family, mercy on the people around us, that you would reveal yourself to them in whichever way you see fit. And if it is to use us in that, that you would, that we'd be a good testimony of who you are. We'd be a good testimony of your greatness, your mercy. And Lord, that we would spend time in your word. That we would be learning daily about your character. And Lord, that we'd endeavor to get to know you more and more. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Yeah, so if you... Yeah, I want to bring my offering. There we go. Sorry, Lord, I just... Um, also, Lord, I pray that, that you would... Bless the tithes and offerings as they, they come in. Lord, we know that, that 
that you have instructed us to, to be generous in our giving. And Lord, that at the end of the day, it is a, a symbol of the fact that everything we have is yours. Everything we have is yours. And Lord, that we just return a bit to you. But Lord, we know that these finances also used in the extension of your kingdom. So Lord, we pray for wisdom on the people that will use that finance. We pray that they will have integrity and understanding as to how best to use this to further your kingdom. And so Lord, we pray for your blessing on it. In Jesus' name and blessing on everybody that is given. Amen. Lord, we thank you for the privilege of receiving such a blessing this morning. We thank you that we know that we can trust in you, that you forgive, that you empower us, and that you will lead us in the Spirit. In this week, we ask you that you use each of us to be a light in this world. Amen.